Braves and baseball fans, it's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed the perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. And hello and welcome to From the Diamond. Grant McCauley with you from the Kia Studios on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. We are wrapping up another week uh, for the Atlanta Braves and, of course, Major League Baseball and really wrapping up the month of May for all of us here on planet Earth. As that's how we tell time. It is Memorial Day weekend. That always an opportunity to reflect on those who pay the ultimate price for us. We appreciate their service and allows us to do things like have a two-hour baseball show on a Sunday here uh, from the Kia Studios in Midtown. So very appreciative of that and always keeping that in perspective, if you will. But as far as baseball is concerned this week, as far as the Braves are concerned, they're continuing to find the ways to, I think, persevere. That may be the best word for this month because there have been some highs. There have been some lows. There's been a little bit of stuff in between that. But as they move through this month, turn the calendar to the month of June, which will begin very shortly as the Braves will head on over to Oakland to wrap up this month's play. And then they'll continue a road trip into Arizona before coming home against the Washington Nationals. That's kind of what's ahead for them. But we know it's been a difficult road because the Braves are currently operating without two of their top starters. Not just any starters, not just trying to backfill the rotation the way they were in spring training. They're trying to get through not having Max Free, the runner-up in the Cy Young last year. They're trying to get through without 20-game winner Kyle Wright from a year ago, and that has proved challenging. We've talked about it a lot here on the show, the bullpen games, and hopefully there's going to be an end to that because we're finally going to, I believe, get to have the conversation we've been wanting to have for so long and get the... I don't want to call it the conclusion, but get the chapter we've all been waiting to read in the comeback story of Michael Soroka. It appears he is lined up to start for the Braves on Monday as they open that three-game series against Oakland. That's going to be a big focus here on the show, but I've got so many more things that are going to be packed into this particular episode. So before we get started, as always, I want to remind you to subscribe to From the Diamond wherever you get your podcast. You can also find me on the Odyssey app. Just search for From the Diamond on any or all of those platforms. You can also follow along on social. I am on Twitter at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. The show is at From the Diamond with an underscore on the end. I'm also on Instagram at Grant McCauley, the show at From the Diamond. And you can like the show on Facebook and find links for all these things over at FromTheDiamond.com. So that should have you pretty covered on how to connect to the show. And, of course, we've got all kinds of great guests, great conversations. You're going to hear from several members of the Atlanta Braves that I had the chance to catch up with at Truist Park this week. A lot of really good conversations. When there are these ups and downs of the season, you kind of want to know what's going on inside the players' heads. I don't know if that's always fun for them because sometimes the results are not as much fun as they want to be having. But I wanted to take you inside the clubhouse and give you that kind of insight. So I caught up with Matt Olson to talk to him about what he's been seeing this year, both from his side of things and also being the man who's on deck for one of the best shows that you can find in Major League Baseball anywhere for any team just about any season, and that's what Ronald Acuna Jr. has done over the first two months of the season. He has been spectacular. Matt Olson had some really interesting comments about Ronald that, you know, of course everybody's enjoying watching him, but I think the perspective that you get from Matt is going to be worth sticking around for. You'll have that later in the show. 
I also caught up with somebody who is trying to get his season on track because he's been one of the Braves' most important pitchers the last three years. That would be left-hander A.J. Minter. He has had a really challenging start to his season. He continues to work to find the ways through that, but I asked him, how do you find your way through when you feel like you're doing the same things that you've always done? The results are just not what you want them to be. A lot of great insight from A.J. on that. And as we talked about Matt Olson, talked about Ron Lacuna Jr., the resurgence of Marcelo Zuna has been a big story. You heard from Austin Riley on the show last week. I decided to talk to somebody who's worked with all of those guys about their approach and what they're trying to accomplish at the plate. I caught up with Braves hitting coach Kevin Seitzer. You'll hear from, hear from him in this show as well. Then we're going to get into our little trip around the big leagues, which is going to be a fun one, I think, because we've all been kind of getting used to what is the new normal for Major League Baseball, the pace of play. That's been a phrase I've heard more times this year than perhaps any other time. And believe me, we were talking about it coming into this year because there were some games that you're just sitting there, you're like, oh, it's the seventh inning. We're three hours and 20 minutes into this game. I mean, this is a, this is a long night at the ballpark, and I'm not complaining about any night spent at the ballpark. And I was there for 10 runs in the first inning in Game 5 of the 2019 NLDS. That was not fun. But it is fun to go to a baseball park. But you kind of want to see the game do the things it's supposed to do at the pace that you want them to do it. That's why Major League Baseball has been so focused on this. But I started to wonder, are there some side effects to the pace of play that we may not have thought about before all these rules were put in place? Travis Sawchick of The Score is going to join me a little bit later to talk about the possible connection between a rise in injuries for pitchers and the new rules for baseball. Not just the pitch clock, but perhaps some other things that you might not be thinking about. He'll join me later in the show. And I've got Scott Braun, longtime host on MLB Network. He's going to join me to talk about his brand new project. You heard a little bit about it on some of the clips I've played on the show. I've got another one for you today. It's called Foul Territory TV. It is a really great connection with players, both past and present, to give you kind of a side of Major League Baseball players that you may not get on just your old average Q&A, whatever you see on TV, on a pre- or post-game show, post-game media conversations, those kinds of things, the personality of these players. I think it's as important to connect with for fans as anything. We all love the game, but you kind of want to know the guys on a next-level basis, and I think Foul Territory TV is doing a great job of that. I'm going to chat with Scott Braun uh, a little bit later in this show as well. But let's talk some about what has been a very eventful week for the Atlanta Braves. We knew... The string of 14 consecutive interleague games was going to come to a close. And when it did, and you get welcomed back to the National League, you get three games for the Los Angeles Dodgers and then four games against your division rival, the Philadelphia Phillies. That Dodgers series, clearly, there was an opportunity, I think, for the Braves to take game one of that and to have taken two out of three in that series. They needed some dramatics in the finale to grab a win and avoid a sweep. But we know when the Braves and Dodgers meet, and not just from the Freddie Freeman perspective, which is always going to be, I think, a storyline now that you know, we talk about at least to some level, a little bit less, I think, each year. It was a little bit more emotionally regulated this year than, or, than it was a year ago. And I think that's nothing but a good thing for everybody involved because that can get a bit exhausting, I'm sure. But Freddie was exactly who you expect him to be, and that's a potent hitter in the middle of a Dodgers order that was very difficult for the Braves pitching staff to navigate as they took two out of three in that series. But for Atlanta, the focus remains the same. It's not necessarily about what happens between the Braves and the Dodgers in the month of May, though you'd love to win all these regular season games, no doubt about it. Hey, can these clubs meet in October, and can the Braves find a way to get on past L.A. the way they did in 2021? So we haven't heard the last of the Dodgers. Still got a trip out to Chavez Ravine a little bit later this season as well, but uh, that was how the week started. And then we transitioned into the Philadelphia Phillies and a series against a club that below 500, even though they've won the last two games coming into Sunday as the Braves and Phillies will wrap things up on Sunday night baseball, but the Braves able to grab a win on a big night at the ballpark for outcast bobblehead night. 
That may be the craziest giveaway night I've ever seen in person. I've been involved with some minor league ones that were pretty wild, but when you have a wild minor league promotion, you're thinking, okay, six, seven, eight thousand fans, maybe, maybe a little bit more in some ballparks, but you know, relative to the size of the park, that's pretty crazy. But when you've got forty plus thousand lined up around the block, every block to get into the ballpark to try to get one of the fifteen thousand bobbleheads, do the quick math. There were some people that did not get their outcast bobblehead. I was not one of the people that did not get one, though. I will point that out. We were provided those uh, in the press box, and I'm very appreciative of that because if I had to go stand in line for four hours, going to be honest, I'm not sure I have it in me for any particular giveaway. Dom, is there anything that you would line up around a stadium for uh, to go ahead and get your hands on when it comes to giveaways, bobbleheads, or whatever else? Yeah, free money. Well, that's not a promotion anybody's <laughs> doing, though. You know? Uh, I don't know about a bobblehead. I mean, I mean, there are a lot of giveaways that the Braves do. For yeah. example, they do the player chains. They do the bobbleheads. They did movie posters a year ago. They've done all kinds of different things. But, you know, yeah. this outcast bobblehead that, had people feeling some kind of way. And yeah. I mean that in a, a very good way because clearly they were all about trying to line up and get their hands on one. Absolutely. I was going to say, I, I completely get it. I'm a huge outcast fan. I, I don't know if I'm s- sitting four hours in line for a bobblehead. Mm-hmm. Three? Three? All right, I'm just trying to find out what the break-even point is. Let's do two. Two hours. I'll I'll wait two hours in line for an outcast bobblehead. Two hours max in line. Well, the good thing is that the gates do open at 5.30, so you would start moving through that line. So people started lining up a couple of hours before gates open might be the more accurate way to put it, though I'm sure the battery was hopping. Plenty of people were eating lunch, having their fun, and getting ready for that game. But the Braves able to provide, of course, the best promotion of all, I think, which is winning baseball. They were able to rally and pick up a victory over the Phillies in that opener. And then, of course... Both Friday and Saturday's games just did not go the way that the Braves uh, wanted them to go against this Philadelphia club. There have been a lot of, I think, missed opportunities, offensively speaking. And then on the pitching staff side, you're still trying to find ways to, I think, cover for a bullpen that's been incredibly taxed thanks to the bullpen games and, of course, the absence of Freed and Wright. There's no two ways about you know how important it is to get those guys back and get them going at the front of the Braves rotation again. And we've got some decent news on Max Freed from at least a baseball activities perspective. And that's he started throwing again. Now, this is not throwing at full speed. This is not throwing off a mound. This is just going out there and testing out the forearm after two weeks of rest. Uh, clearly, things went well. He was out there throwing again on Sunday afternoon. So we'll see. But this is going to be a full ramp up. I talked to Brian Snitker about this. Uh, he talked to all of us, the reporters, before the game, just about what exactly goes on for Freed from this point forward. I mean, how close to ground zero is he starting in terms of if you walked into spring training on day one, how long would it take you to get back and ready? And that's kind of what it sounds like. So he'll go through you know, throwing from 60 feet, and he'll back up and do some long toss, which is what was going on, I believe, on Sunday afternoon, according to Mark Bowman of MLB.com. And then, you know, you might up the intensity of the throwing. Eventually, you'll get off a mound. Then you'll face some hitters. And then hopefully you'll go on a rehab assignment. But at this point, we're talking about three, four starts. Not really sure. We'll find out. Uh, no real injury update on Kyle Wright, though. He's on the 60-day IL, so it's going to take him a while to get back and in there. But when we talk about pitchers and injuries and, and all the things that go with that, unfortunately, no man has been more central to those two things than Michael Soroka, who last started for the Braves in a Major League Baseball game during the pandemic-shortened season of 2020. It was August the 3rd when he tore his right Achilles for the first of two times. He tore it again just walking into the ballpark and had to get it completely redone, start from scratch again. He has gone through, it was nearly two years without being able to get on a mound and give the Braves really anything to indicate that he's resuming his career. He was able to make those minor league rehab assignment starts last year. A little bit of action in the spring training prior, but you really wanted to see Soroka ready to go. 
at the start of the season, but a hamstring injury had him behind in spring training. But finally, after this incredibly long road and all of the pitfalls and speed bumps and things that have popped up in his way, it appears that he is headed to Oakland to join the Atlanta rotation in game one of that three-game series. He was scratched from his start in AAA Gwinnett, as that was the expectation, that he'd be pitching for the Braves on Monday. So no further minor league starts for Michael Soroka, though, as we'll talk about later in this show, the Oakland Athletics have played a lot like a minor league baseball team this year. But this is an incredible moment for the Braves when this does happen. And we'll talk about what the ramifications are. What does it mean to this starting rotation? We will take a look at the week that was for the Atlanta Braves, how things have been trending, some of the big stories, including Michael Soroka. And you'll hear some chats that I had with some Braves and a Braves coach throughout the course of the week. It's coming your way next on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Now, back to more from the Diamond. Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Welcome back in. This is From the Diamond. Grant McCauley with you from the Kia Studios on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game on a Sunday. We're marching you up to the Braves and Phillies, wrapping up their four-game series with Sunday Night Baseball at Truist Park. But lots of things to talk about for the week that was for this Atlanta Braves club. And I figured if we're going to do any starting, we might as well talk about the Starting rotation. As I talked about to open the show, some positive news on the injury front for Max Fried. He is beginning to resume those baseball activities, doing a little bit of light throwing a couple of times now this week already, including on Sunday prior to the game. But it's going to be a long road back for Max Fried. And we knew that once they lost Fried and then Cal Wright, this was going to be difficult to patchwork together a rotation. But the things that have gone right for the Braves in rotation is A, you have Spencer Strider who means an awful lot to this club. He'll be on the mound on Sunday against the Philadelphia Phillies. You've got a veteran like Charlie Morton, who I think has started to really show that he is capable of doing the things that the Braves expect him to be able to do. I think for in, in large part last year after a slow start, Charlie started to establish himself again, and it looks like he's done that for the most part here in 2023 as well. And then you got Bryce Elder. And I don't know that there's been too many better stories. I've talked about on some of the other shows that I do, the Braves postcast, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, where I said that, I don't think that we can call Bryce Elder an unsung hero for the Braves anymore because we've sung his praises too many times. It's every five days, this kid is pitching into the sixth inning. He has given the Braves a chance to win. He is missing bats. He is just carving up lineups. And you did not expect this, I don't think, especially when you consider how the season started. He was on the mound on opening day for the AAA Gwinnett Stripers. This was not what you expected to see coming into the end of May where Wait, Bryce Elder's the National League ERA leader? That's a thing we've been talking about this week. So when you do look at it overall for Braves starters in the month of May, I wanted to crunch some of these numbers. And Bryce Elder's success is way up there near the top of the reasons why the Braves rotation has been able to at least stay solid enough without two of its major pitchers. Spencer Strider, Charlie Morton, I think those were more known commodities. You knew that they're capable of racking up strikeouts, of winning games, You just need to see him go out there and do it because the margin for error is so slim. And I've talked to a lot of Braves fans and just, you know, common sense would dictate as well. It's really tough when you're trying to backfill two spots in your rotation to lose on a day that Spencer Strider or Charlie Morton or Bryce Elder pitches. You don't get to choose how many runs you score on those days, though, because the other team obviously has a big say in that and whoever they're starting against. But it just feels like there is more of a pressure or an expectation on that. And Brian Snitker told me, it's like, look, I don't want the pitchers to take on that level of responsibility. All they can do is what they've been going out there and doing. And for the most part, when you look at Elder, when you look at Strider, and you look at Charlie Morton, they have done that. 
And another name that has jumped into this little rotational mix is Jared Schuster. Now, he broke camp with the Braves, made his major league debut against Washington in the first series of the year, and did not look anything like the guy we'd seen in spring training who was peppering the strike zone, who was picking up strikeouts, who looked like he was in complete command. And even with only a handful of AAA starts under his belt coming into the year, you felt like, as a former number one pick, that, that this was somebody who might could learn on the job and at the very least be a, a capable member of this rotation and give you what you need. But then there were back-to-back starts to open the year with Schuster where the command was not there. Now, some of that is going to come with good old-fashioned nerves because I'm sure I've never done it, but I've talked to enough guys that have. You walk out there for the first time with 40,000 fans under the bright lights, you know, having spent your whole life and worked your career to get to the big leagues, it's going to feel a little bit different than what you did in the minors, what you did in college, what you did in high school. I mean, it all builds to that point. But until you've done that, until you've experienced that, it's kind of an unknown quantity. And I think that for a lot of players, it takes an adjustment period to know and to realize and to get confident that your stuff will get these hitters out as well. And I think Jared Schuster started to find that about himself as he's gone through these last three starts since coming back up from AAA Gwinnett. Because the Braves were in a place where once Freed and Wright went down pretty much simultaneously, somebody had to step in and help this rotation out immediately. And by help, I'm talking about five innings, maybe three or fewer earned runs if you can get it. That would be enough to hopefully help this bullpen out because when you started throwing these bullpen games around all those days off, you knew that the relievers are going to be throwing way too many innings. They're going to be throwing too often, and, and that ends up in a place where not to get off on a tangent about bullpen games because, thank goodness, knock on wood, we're not seeing one of those anytime soon. But you had to manage these guys differently after the fact because you were overusing some. And while you may kind of wonder, well, why is so-and-so off limits? And you may not even know it. The Braves just try to stay away from a reliever, and that's not unique to the Braves. Every team does. They'll see hey, this guy's thrown in three straight days, or this guy's thrown in three of the last four games. And they're just trying to manage that workload a little bit to, to go along. And you start throwing bullpen games, that makes it a little bit tougher. And then you've got two of your better relievers, A.J. Minter, who you're going to hear from a little bit later on in the show, Joe Jimenez, who was brought over in a trade with the Detroit Tigers over the offseason. Both those guys have kind of struggled to find themselves. Now, Jimenez had an offseason back surgery, and I think that's probably at the crux of why he has not been as sharp as he wants to be to start the year. But you're still going to have to continue to work him through this and figure out a way to get something out of him because unless he's injured, which, again, you don't want any more injuries on this pitching staff, he's going to be part of this equation. And I think that he should be given the opportunity to show that he can be the guy that he was just last year with the Detroit Tigers because that's when the Braves went out and got him, to put him in there in those places where once you get Rysel Iglesias healthy and in the back end of your bullpen, which is happening now, you were hoping that Jimenez and Mentor were going to be big reasons why you could you know, feel good about the seventh and eighth innings heading into the ninth and giving the ball to your closer. But, you know, the best laid plans don't always work out. And the attrition that's happened, in addition to the injuries, the taxation of this bullpen have been a, a big part of what the Braves have tried to navigate through in the month of May. But it all starts in this rotation. Braves rotation this year, 15th, excuse me, in the month of May, 15th in all of Major League Baseball with 127 and two-thirds innings pitched. So, they're kind of splitting this with the bullpen a lot more than they want to as far as the innings that need to be covered. But they're still 10th in all of MLB with a 388 ERA. And if you take out some of the bullpen games where maybe it didn't work out so well early on, you know, the starter's ERA might be down just a little bit more, but there's no question about it. When you look at the starter's ERA for the month of May, that you can thank Bryce Elder for a big part of that. But Jared Schuster has really come on here in May at a time in which the Braves really needed him to. He's made three starts since coming back up as he has faced the Rangers, Seattle Mariners, and then the Philadelphia Phillies. 378 ERA, perfectly respectable. 16 and two-thirds innings. Here's what I really like. 
Six walks, 15 strikeouts, only seven hits allowed. Jared Schuster, I think, has been giving the Braves exactly what they need as their de facto fourth starter right now. So let's hear from Braves manager Brian Snitker, who was talking about Schuster and the latest test, which was a start against the Philadelphia Phillies. It may not look like his best, but there are reasons that when you look at five and two-thirds innings of three-hit ball against this club, that you should feel pretty good about the continued progress that Jared Schuster has been showing this club. Here's Brian Snitker. It's probably the most experienced, talented lineup that he's faced in his young career. You know, guys that don't chase and they walk and they slug. And um, I, I, you know, he had first three innings. I think he faced no less than five guys every inning. And, um, you know, so it was, you know, traffic, a lot of traffic. Um, but you know what? He didn't give in either. I mean, he keeps pitching and, and making his pitches, and, and it's great experience for him. It's, it's a, you know, an outing like this is really should go a long way, and you should be proud of how he responded to it. Yeah, you just got to continue to build on each and every one of these outings if you're Jared Schuster, and I think he has certainly done that. Now, as we talk about May and some of the big storylines that have been going on this month, I think that at the top of that list, from an offensive standpoint, may be Marcelo Zuna, because when you looked at March, April, and on this very show, I mean, I was talking about, I don't know how much longer you can go with this if he's not going to hit. If he was hitting just at least a little bit and contributing a little bit and knocking in a few runs a week, you might have thought, okay, well, maybe he'll get the chance to figure it out. I did not know that there was a switch that would take you from 085 as a batting average at the end of April to hitting nearly 350 in the month of May with nine home runs and 20 runs knocked in. But that's exactly what Marcelo Zuna has done. And now as Ronald Acuna Jr. has cooled off just a little bit, and I want to say very tongue-in-cheek, just a little bit, in the past five or six days, all of a sudden, if you just look at the stats, you know, blind taste test, as they say, Marcelo Zuna is the Braves' most productive hitter this month, just from a slugger's perspective. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying he does all the other things, like on the base paths that Ronald does, because clearly we saw the other day when he ran into an out uh, between third base and home that he doesn't run the bases quite like Ronald Acuna Jr. does. But I can't really knock what Marcel has done here in the month of May because he found a way to work himself through this. I wrote a piece about this for the Marietta Daily Journal this past week about Marcel just kind of continuing to grind and believe in himself. And when I talked to him, he said, look, now I come into the ballpark knowing that I can get these results again, but I had to come in and get the work done to feel like this again. Additionally, Austin Riley over the last week and a half, you heard from him on last week's show as well, hitting 368 in the midst of a 10-game hitting streak. That is wonderful to see. Had a multi-homer game, has eight extra base hits, among the 14 hits in this 10-game hitting streak. But one man who works with all these guys is Braves hitting coach Kevin Seitzer. So Ozuna, Riley, Matt Olson, Ronald Acuna Jr., I asked a lot of different questions about some of these hitters and maybe how the overall team approach is going with one of the changes in baseball's play and baseball's rules this year. So take a listen to Braves hitting coach Kevin Seitzer. I talked to Austin this past week, and he said that working through everything that's been going on for him this season, that he's kind of a, started to identify what might be ailing him, diving across the plate, getting jammed inside a lot. Yeah. Have you felt like he's making that progress to really unlocking the power that we all know is there? Yeah, I mean, he's he, for me, it's being on time and putting the barrel of the bat on the ball. And you got to be in a good place mechanically, but you also have to be – in a good place mentally where you're on go for the fastball and a lot of times he'll get in trouble where he's laid on fastballs because he's reacting to fastballs for strikes instead of thinking hit the heater and if I chase I chase but he doesn't want to chase off speed pitches which nobody does but that's part of it to be be on time for fastballs so you know he he's had spurts of okay here he comes and then 
you know, two steps forward, one back. We keep doing that. He's going to be okay, and he'll get hot. Yeah, he told me it's hard to think about the changes you want to make and then hit 97 at the same time. And a lot of people think, okay, well, you know what you need to change. Why don't you just change it? Well, then you got to go up there and face somebody trying to get you out. Yeah, you know, 97 to 87 to 81 with change-ups mixed in. I mean, you got two-seam, you got four-seam, you got cut. You know, you got the 97 going different directions as well. So, you know, if it... If it was that easy, these guys wouldn't make the money they make. <laughs> now, you look across at Diamond Metals, an, an incredible power hitter. He's also an incredibly patient hitter. Inside of his season this year, though, there have been a lot more strikeouts than normal, and I know that that's something you realize, he realizes, and anybody watching realizes. What do you think has kind of been inside of that part of Matt's game going up to the rate that it has? Well, the, the strikeouts have come from missing his pitches that he shouldn't miss. I mean, he's fouling off a lot of pitches, swinging through pitches in the zone, whether it be a timing aspect or a mechanical thing, and he's been working through both as well. So it's like when guys are rolling, they make it look easy, and then when they start scuffling, it's like our job is to try and help them figure out why and then make that adjustment to correct it. So against Seattle, he had some good games and thought he was ready to take off. He's in a better place right now. So. Matty's doing okay. I mean, it's a long season. These guys are, you know, there's, it's a 162 worth, not whatever worth. Ronald Acuna Jr., I think everybody enjoys watching him. Everybody enjoys talking about him. I'm sure it's got to be a lot of fun to just work with a guy that has those kind of natural abilities. Last year was a challenging year for him. This year, it seems like he has found a whole different level. What can you attribute that to that goes maybe beyond just some God-given talent? Well, what he's doing this year is just a result of being 100% healthy and confident in that health. And that's where last year he was a little bit uh, concerned about letting it go, letting you know, getting into everything because he just didn't want to blow out again. I mean, that was a traumatic event that happened, but... This year he's been a different guy. I mean, on all sides of the ball. He's playing defense like crazy, running the bases like crazy, and his swing is, I'm just so happy that he looks like the old Ronnie. Marcelo Zuna kind of starting to look like the old Marcelo Zuna. I talked to him a little bit earlier today. He said, this is the result of hard work and continuing to grind through it and knowing that I could get through it. What did you see through this process that went from an April where the results weren't there for him to a May where he looks like the guy that the Braves were accustomed to seeing? Well, the last three weeks of spring training, he looked like he does now. And then when the season started, he he just wanted to do great. He wanted to help the team. He wanted to be good. And then he got too pull happy, and he started swinging at pitches in and off, and he started chasing again the the problems he's had when he's struggled since he's been here. And now he's gotten back to where he's using the whole field. He shot two base hits the other way last night. And, you know, he's checking off the chase pitches much better, more consistently, and, and still being on time for the fastball. So I'm just I'm ecstatic with the adjustments he's made. There ain't anybody in here that works harder than that dude. I mean, he is uh, he's a grinder and a fighter and a worker, and he cares a lot. And now it's just good that he's starting to see some fruit of the labor. Last thing I want to ask you about, just kind of a, an overview of no more shifts like we saw, the exaggerated shifts that had really permeated baseball. That's not a thing anymore. We're seeing hard-hit ground balls, finding a home in the outfield again. What have you looked at as far as hitters, or what have hitters kind of looked at this year? Has that factored into their approach whatsoever, or is that just kind of a happy result if that so happens to help them out? You know, it's more of the happy result because they, they're they not changing anything that they've done in the past. They're just 
more balls that are smoked up the middle or base hits up the middle like they used to be back when I played. And then there's, you know, balls that are hit the other way that sometimes there's a guy there, sometimes there's not a guy there. It depends on where the alignment is. But I just love that a single's a big factor nowadays where you got a chance to to put together big innings instead of it just being a homer, you got a chance to put together two or three or four base hits because no shift. So it's good. No shift. That sounds like a pretty good thing. Let me make sure you know. There was a T on the end of that. But the lack of the shift in baseball is going to make a difference for some hitters. But I think it was important, and Kevin Seitz, our Braves hitting coach, so nice to give me that time. It's important to know that not every hitter is just going to change their overall approach just because there is no shift anymore. There's a reason behind a lot of the different things they're doing, but every once in a while now, you'll get the opportunity to maybe be rewarded for putting the ball in play, and I think that was kind of the idea behind that rule to begin with. But that's a chat with Braves hitting coach Kevin Seitzer as we wrap up some things that were going on for the Braves in the week that was. But now we're going to begin to take our look around the rest of baseball, a little thing I like to call going around the big leagues. And when we do so, when we come back, I should say, Scott Braun of Foul Territory TV. You know him really well from MLB Network all these years. He's going to join me to talk about why this season has been so much fun and what exactly Foul Territory TV is. All of that comes your way next right here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Now, more From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back to From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Grant McCauley with you from the Kia Studios here on a Sunday as we continue with our look around Major League Baseball. As we begin our look around Major League Baseball, or as I like to say it, taking that trip around the big leagues. Really thrilled to be joined by my next guest. You know him from years and years and years on MLB Network. Well, he's got a new project for you now. It's called Foul Territory TV. He is Scott Braun. You can follow him on Twitter at Scott Braun. He joins me right now on the WadeFord.com hotline. Well, Scott, really appreciate you joining the show. It looks like we've got a pretty exciting season going here across Major League Baseball as we reach the vaunted Memorial Day checkpoint. Grant, it's great to talk to you. And to me, this might be my favorite season ever. I can't remember the last time I haven't gone more than a few days without some massive story to cover. Just think about what we've already <laughs> dealt with coming off an offseason with Obviously, big signings and Judge leading the way in the drama there. And then during this season, we have new rules. We have a team relocating. We have Judge Glansgate and all the drama with those two teams. And there seems to be something going on every few days. And I know our game usually has that, but I feel like there's more of it. And then it's all going to eventually lead up to whatever happens with the season. But my mind, the LeBron-level free agency period that will occur with Shohei Otani, who mm-hmm. is a once-in-a-lifetime type of player. So as you can tell, I'm quite excited. Yeah, there is so much that we're going to parse through, not only in this conversation, but of course we got the season to come into focus, I guess, if you will, because we still got the trade deadline. I mean, before that, we get the All-Star break and, and all the things that go with that. And of course, pennant races in October, and there's going to be a lot happening in 2023. So uh, let's jump into a little bit of what's been going on thus far, because I know we focus a lot on the National League East down here in Atlanta, but I've been looking at this AL East, and particularly because the Braves just saw a couple of, actually three different AL East teams, and we can tell it's going to be a bit of a battle in that division, and it always has been, but you've got the Rays running wild out of the gate. The Orioles are suddenly a more powerful club. They got onto the scene last year. They're backing it up this year. Throw in the Blue Jays. This may be about as intriguing as this division's been, and we're not even hyper-focused 
on Judge and the Yankees and what the Red Sox are doing. That rivalry has almost taken a backseat to the completeness, I guess, of this division, at least in my eyes. And strong divisions are going to be highlighted this year more than ever because the balanced schedule is going to play a huge impact in the playoff races. And to me, especially for a more casual baseball fan, it's something that I've had to explain quite a bit already this year. Mm -hmm. Not how it works, right? Less divisional games, Mm -hmm. more balance so that everybody gets to see every other team come to their spot, which makes a lot of sense for every team to be able to host Judge and Trout and Otani, right? And all these big players that sometimes fan bases don't get to see for a while. But what that does, Grant, is it highlights the incredible divisions more because they don't get to beat up on each other as much. And then it lowlights the centrals. (laughs) But, right? Like the, yeah. the Al Central is, is kind of hot garbage. It's no offense to the teams at the top. It's just like overall, it's not nearly as good as the Coast and the same thing to an extent with the NL Central. So, yes, the AL East is going to be more powerful than ever. Plus, you really don't have any rebuilding ball clubs. Boston's the closest you can get there, and I wouldn't call them in rebuild mode. They really barely ever do that anyway. Do they need more pitching? Yes. Are they going to make the playoffs? I don't think so. But if that's the worst team in the AL East, they might be a 500 ball club. The rest of those teams all have a very legit chance of making it. The Yankees are going to be fine. They dealt with some of the more heavy injury situations early on. The Rays look like a force. They've come back down to earth a little bit, but they are definitely a playoff team in my mind. And yeah, Baltimore is what throws a wrench in everything. For me also, I think Toronto is going to be fine, even though they just had that two and nine stretch and, the players only meeting after the loss on Thursday and losing three or four to the Rays. But I think they're going to be fine as well. Very talented team. I think, yeah, you nailed it. Baltimore is one of the surprises of the year. There's really two in the American League that make it annoying for the rest of the league because you also have the Texas Rangers playing well. Right. And there is some potential stability there too. So, of course, as we know, there are going to be some very disappointing seasons. I happen to be in the middle of a little – media firestorm in the past week with Angels fans, which we had a lot of fun with. And, you know, so I've been on some Angels shows and podcasts lately, and I'm like, I actually think your team's decent. It's better than it's been, but you picked the wrong year to be like a fringe playoff team because teams like Baltimore and Texas might knock you out. So I agree. I mean, the Orioles tanked for the last six years. It's about damn time. Yep. I was disappointed that they didn't do much in the offseason. But they're proving that they built their farm system so well. They did the same thing as basically what the Astros did years back. And it's working. It's playing out the way they wanted it to. And they're going to be big-time buyers at the deadline because they don't have to spend the same money-wise. The ownership there doesn't want to spend. But what you can do is you can trade assets, and they have plenty of them. No, they have stockpiled those assets most certainly. Chatting with Scott Braun. Uh, Foul Territory TV. We're going to get into the show because I'm really excited to kind of go through this entire concept. It's been a lot of fun for me to watch throughout the year, too. So we'll get to that in a moment. He joins me here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. It talked a little bit about the ALEs. As I mentioned, the NLEs has been all the focus around here for a while. Braves have won it five times in a row. 2022 gave us one of the most unique races that we've had, though, when you talk about what the Braves and Mets did, finishing with the exact same record. But the Braves, head-to-head, that crazy series at the end of September into October, that really told the tale. But Atlanta off to a much better start this year, and a lot of baseball left to be played in this division. And I'm kind of in the same place that I am, you know, looking at the Orioles, kind of showing what they have. The Marlins have been better this year. Obviously, the Phillies can figure things out as they did a year ago. Braves and Phillies going head-to-head this weekend. Mets have some time to kind of make up for their slow start this year, kind of a reverse. But 
Even the Washington Nationals haven't been terrible. I don't know how long that's going to last, but it has made the NL East at least a more interesting division. But the Braves, despite having some struggles the last couple of weeks, have still been able to maintain a nice, healthy lead in this division. But uh, I'm really interested to see how the schedule now with less divisional games is going to fare for all of these clubs because they don't just get to beat up on the bottom of the division anymore. So this seeing all 30 teams steal or the other 29 teams, I think that's kind of a cool quirk that we're kind of losing in the background of talking about pitch clocks and bigger bases and all of that stuff. Yeah, I love it. I, I, I don't like, sure, sometimes there's rivalry games that are cool, but we still get plenty of them. I don't like the fact that once we opened up interleague play, it's like, let's get it on. I want to be able to see as a fan every other team and their star players. Mm-hmm. So that stood out a lot to me. And I think fans are really happy about it. Apparently there was a lot of like case studies and, and polling going on and of course, that's going to be the answer. I mean, think about it even for the Atlanta Braves. There's a ton of talent on that team. If I'm a real fan of the game and I'm in the American League, you know, pick a ball club. I'm an Orioles fan. Yeah. I, yeah, I want to see Ronald Cunha Jr. come mm-hmm. to my ballpark. I want to see what all the talk is about Sean Murphy. You know, that stuff stands out too. So as I had the Braves to win. I've, I've been picking them for years because – and it's not just, oh, they're the team to beat until they're not. It's also – they keep building and adding to what they already have with their core. And mm-hmm. obviously I know these fans have been freaking out about Murphy. Just an incredibly well-executed trade from what they did to acquire him to what they did to extend him. Of course, you can go a year back to what they did with Olsen. Yeah. I know they've taken a hit with some of their pitching this year, but they've weathered the storm just fine. And their offense and defense is so damn good that they are the cream of the crop in the National League East. There's no doubt about it. And I know it's only you know the end of May here. I would be shocked if they didn't win the division. And I, I still think on the other side where the Phillies have underperformed, they'll be fine. Remember last year, they didn't play well for most of the season. They're a streaky team. They're going to yep. be streaky. I don't think they're going to be a World Series team again, but they're a playoff contender. I think the Mets will be more than fine. And I think they're the second best team in the division. But I do think Atlanta is, is one step ahead there right now. And of course, in addition to talking about Murphy, and I know – sure this has been talked about ad nauseum there and i'm covering all 30 teams but ronald acuna jr is the mvp of the league right now it's really not close i guess you could make some cases for for sean but ronald is filling up every stat category can basically do no wrong right now he's a catalyst so to me atlanta's in a great spot i mean they're not going to be in cruise control per se but i would be very surprised if they don't get towards the end of the season they can kind of load up make sure they do a little bit of load management, get the starters lined up, get their first round by, and get themselves going and in the best position to succeed in the playoffs. Well, one thing I will say for a Brian Snitker-led club is that they always have this great way of focusing on a series, focusing on a day, having a short memory, and playing the long game. And that's what you got to do over the 162. And then, kind of to your point, you want to get the script set up so that you can run it the way that you want to uh, from a pitching standpoint, especially as you roll through October. And speaking of that pitching and somebody they'd like to have back for October, Kyle Wright was on foul territory here this week. It's been a really challenging year for him, but he is so easy to pull for after putting together the year he did last year, being the only 20-game winner in the big leagues. So hopefully he's going to be able to put this shoulder issue behind him. But how much fun did you have uh, chatting with Kyle Wright this week? Oh, we had a blast talking to him. And we've had quite a few Braves on the show already. So for people unaware of what we're doing, we're bringing on multiple player guests per day live on the show. And then it gets cut up, of course, for podcasts and all the social platforms and actually one of our biggest spots is tiktok 
to grab the younger audience nice. and give them you know, the quick hitter kind of fun segments that we do with players. But I've known Kyle for years. He's nice as can be. He's very grounded. He went through a lot. You know, he had all the talent, made a ton of money, obviously, coming right out of the draft. Um, so we had a good conversation with him. He also had told us that he wanted to have a little bit more of a long form to go over what he went through in terms of mental health struggles and then mm-hmm. how he's trying to help others in the same department, which is really cool because think about it. When you're that good and people think you're going to be a one in the big leagues, like in a couple of years coming out of school, yeah. and then it takes many years for you to even be a contributor in the big leagues, that burns at you. And we know, Grant, I mean, not every fan is very uh, kind on social media yeah, to players that. that are not performing well. And it's hard to avoid that. And not just even on social, like even at the ballpark. Hey, you stink. And a lot worse. So for him, he's always had a great attitude. Him documenting his struggles was, was really cool. Of course, we went into the shoulder situation and he had never dealt with an injury like that. He's mostly had good health in that department. Now it's become, you know, a problem that that's barking at him. But he had a good attitude about it. I mean, obviously, we don't know all of the specifics, but he was able to share that he felt like he's on a good path. So we had a great conversation. Yeah, no, he's easy to pull for, as I mentioned. Also, easy to talk to, and a guy that I think has got a very cerebral approach to what he's been doing, and, and stays incredibly grounded. And him sharing that story, if it helps out more players, and this can be behind the scenes, something that you and I may never hear about. I think that that's exactly the kind of thing that sometimes your struggles, you're able to pay it forward and help raise some awareness about what might be going on in order to have that success on the field for Kyle Wright. I think that's been a story of perseverance for him as a former first-round pick and now a 20-game winner in the big leagues, just trying to get himself back on track. Uh, you touched on this, and I want to say you know, I really enjoy, and having done my show and had some guests and uh, doing interviews at the ballpark, all those things, it's impressive to see all the voices and personalities and the guests that you guys have assembled on foul territory talking baseball outside of just a studio setting. And it seems like a format that is just way overdue. So talk to me a little bit about that and about how foul territory came together and your involvement in the show. Yeah. And Grant, I mean, you know, I was at MLB network for well over a decade. Uh, most of my career in baseball spent there and also calling games for mm-hmm. different tech partners, especially like, you know, the, Voice of the Facebook games many years ago, eventually turning into the voice of the YouTube game. Those packages have just gone away. But, you know, a lot of my time on MLB Network TV, and this is so different. I kind of grew up with the players, and now I'm older than most of them, but similar age where they felt like they didn't have an open platform to really be themselves and say whatever they want, including cursing, and go (laughs) wherever they wanted to go. And, Uh And we worked really hard finding a sweet spot. And this is a project with many friends, right? I mean, you can see the people that are part of foul territory, AJ Przinsky. I mean, I'm, I'm in his home studio every day. We're next to each other because there's more chemistry in, in being able to sit next to each other and go back and forth, but also Todd Frazier, Eric Kratz, who is actually a brilliant broadcaster and interviewer. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll be the first to say that he's the guy who doesn't have as big of a name as the rest of the bunch, but he's played for a billion teams. So everybody knows him and he gets, a ton of guests for us too. Uh, Adam Jones, Lorenzo Kane, Brock Holt, Jason Kipnis. These are all hosts. Ken Rosenthal's our insider on multiple times a week. And he also has his own show under the foul territory brand called Fair Territory. So nice. we're building something that I think is really special. And I believe completely in, I left everything I was doing to work on this every single day, doing a lot behind the scenes as well. And yeah, I felt like there was a massive void grant because I, I was seeing this 
in the NFL and in the NBA. And I was like, why does none of this exist in baseball? And I can see at least partially why, where the league is more guarded, teams can be more guarded, Mm -hmm. players are used to being more guarded, but they don't want to be. And our players, our talent and personality in, in the great game of baseball, they're just as funny. They're just as dramatic. They've got it all, and yeah. we've got so much valuable conversation to talk about because there's games every day. So we're getting them to open up like you haven't seen, and there is something going viral just about every day from them talking to one of our player hosts. So obviously, as you can tell, I'm loving it. I believe in it, and this is only beginning. We have coming up, like you'll see us on, on TV. There's some linear deals going on at every big event. So, I mean, we're only a few months old here, and, and to be in the top few podcasts for baseball already you know, with other shows that have been around for years has clearly meant that there was a need. Yeah, there's a market out there. He's Scott Braun. You'll see him on Foul Territory TV. You've known him so many years on MLB Network. I really appreciate all this time, Scott, and best of luck with everything because I think Foul Territory is an awful lot of fun for me. It's a daily watch, a daily listen, and I'm sure a lot of people out there are also enjoying that experience. So continued luck and success with all of it, and hopefully we'll be chatting again very soon. Thank you, Grant. Great to catch up with you. Always enjoy it. Make sure you're subscribed to Foul Territory TV across all of the platforms, YouTube, even TikTok. You can find it all there. He is Scott Braun. Follow him on Twitter, at Scott Braun is where you can find him. When we come back, we'll continue our look at all the things going on across Major League Baseball as we look at some of the biggest stories from the week that was. We'll do it next right here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Baseball. Talking Braves and beyond. Baseball. With From the Diamond. Welcome back in to From the Diamond. Grant McCauley with you live from the Kia Studios on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Great chat with Scott Braun of Found Territory TV. Great to catch up with him. He's been on our TVs for so long on MLB Network, and then you see somebody pop up somewhere else, you kind of wonder, what are they working on? What do they got going on? And I think this Found Territory TV thing, if you haven't seen it yet, has offered a lot of different opportunities for some cool baseball discussions and some really candid moments from a lot of players. And You might have heard in that discussion as we get ready to take our trip around the big leagues for some of the biggest stories from the week that was, well, Ken Rosenthal is involved with foul territory. And I think that when you think about baseball, rumors, news, all those things, there's a short list of guys that you're probably following or probably hearing their name time and time again. And Ken Rosenthal may well be the OG. He may be at the top of that list as far as that's concerned. That I'll leave you to debate on your own time. However, his involvement with Foul Territory has given them a show called Fair Territory, which Scott was talking about just a few minutes ago. And of the many stories that we have talked about, and everybody, I think, probably has an opinion on this, which is not altogether too different than just about anything else in sports. But when a team decides that it's going to move from the city that it's called its home for, in the case of the Oakland Athletics, about five and a half decades it's going to have people kind of up in their feelings. In particular, it's had Oakland A's fans in, in their feelings because not, not too long ago, and I'm sure it's not an isolated incident, they're chanting to sell the team. That's what they want their owner to do. And, um, you know, Mr. Fisher, who has had this club for quite some time now and has not really been interested in what I would like to call is continuity of one's roster, that I think is one of the big reasons why this club is struggling in the way that it is because they're not holding on to their talent. And as much as people might enjoy going and watching the movie Moneyball and seeing how ingenious Billy Bean was and putting together you know, a great team, built some through the farm, then they go out and they find the right veterans and they put it all together and they win 100 games and then you run into the Yankees in the postseason and that's kind of the end of the story. But as much fun as that is, that's not realistic to happen every year and you certainly can't keep blowing your team up 
every three years and expect there to be a consistency to the winning that you're trying to do because you end up producing all of these stars and players from your own farm system and you're unable to hold on to them. And they're not getting traded the year before they walk into free agency anymore either. I mean, look at the Braves picking up Matt Olson from Oakland with a couple of years left before he was going to be a free agent. Sean Murphy had a couple, if not three years left before he was going to be a free agent. And those are just a couple that have come here to Atlanta. But Ken Rosenthal on his Fair Territory segment uh, this week was talking a little bit about why exactly Major League Baseball is, I don't know, maybe just kind of sitting off to the side and allowing Oakland to be left to its own devices and allowing the Oakland A's ownership to move ahead and go to Las Vegas without really there being a large discussion about the opportunity to stay in Oakland. And this is not an apology for the Coliseum because that has to be addressed. They need a new ballpark if they're going to stay in the Oakland area as well. But I thought this was really fascinating stuff from Ken Rosenthal. Take a listen to this. Why is John Fisher getting this free pass from Major League Baseball? Why is no one questioning everything going on with this team, starting with what's going on on the field? If I'm an owner of another club, that team is an embarrassment to my industry. That is a blight on what we've got going on here, which in this situation, in this season, is a lot of positive things. So that's number one. Number two, and this question was raised in an article in The Athletic by Eno Saris and Steve Berman, who's to say Las Vegas is this unbelievable market for baseball? Now, I know football is there and I know hockey is there. Baseball's different. And is Las Vegas going to be able to support a Major League Baseball team 81 nights a year? And I know tourists will come in, but are they coming in for baseball in the middle of summer? (laughs) That remains to be seen. So my question, the question I'm raising in this article is why the free pass? Why is John Fisher immune from any criticism internally from MLB, from what I can see, what I can understand? Why has Manfred not been harder on him? Why has he been so accommodating? That's the word I used in the story. Why so accommodating to an owner who has not done well with his team, who is one of the lowest payrolls, well, the lowest payroll this season, and a team on 131 lost pace? 131. They're only on track to win 31. Not good. So that's the point that I'm making here. Why are we letting him run amok? That's a pretty good question. And by run amok, I mean, I guess it's just pack up your stuff and run to Las Vegas, where if you're scoring this at home, as far as that's concerned, uh, Commissioner Rob Manfred said that a vote on the Oakland A's prospective move to Vegas could take place when the owners meet from June 13th through the 15th up in New York. So that vote, and if that gets approved, I I guess that that's kind of all systems go for that move. And Oakland is just kind of running out of opportunities for a last-ditch Hail Mary-type effort to keep this club in Oakland. And again, I just feel like Oakland Athletics fans deserve a little bit better than the way this was treated, and particularly by their ownership, but also Major League Baseball is just kind of looking at it. I don't know if this is a false equivalence or not, but I'll just say here in Atlanta when we had a hockey team and they just kind of got moved out unceremoniously and it didn't seem like the league was really too interested in keeping them in Atlanta. And now we're talking about, oh, let's bring the NHL back to Atlanta for, what, the third time? And I'm telling you, I enjoyed it. But it just didn't make a lot of sense when it moved with there basically being little to no discussion about, okay, well, what can we do to keep it here? It just seemed to be an ownership wants to move on decision, and okay, well, the league will just sign off on that, and that's the end of that. But you know, if you look at how bad the Oakland A's are this year, and I'm sorry if you have, and I'm sorry if you've had to watch this team on a regular basis, but they are 10-44, and 44, have lost 10 consecutive games. I pulled up, according to winning percentage, the worst seasons in Major League Baseball history. 1899 Cleveland Spiders went 20 and 134. The Pittsburgh Alleghenies, so this is before they even became the Pirates, were 23 and 113. 
Oakland, on its bad course right now, would be the third worst winning percentage of all time. And if you're looking for just like a historical perspective that might be in the lifetime of somebody listening to the show, the 1962 expansion Mets were 40 and 120, and the 2003 Tigers were 43 and 119. Those are some pretty bad seasons when you're talking about losing 119, not good. 120 games. Very, very not good if you're scoring at home. But uh, we'll see. Uh, the commissioner uh, of baseball, Rob Manfred, said that. Um, you kind of have to ask the mayor of Oakland if the door is completely closed. This from an article from the AP this week as far as staying in Oakland, where they have been since 1968. They've been playing in the Coliseum for a long time. And the Coliseum, I'm here to tell you, is not Wrigley Field. It's not Fenway Park. It's not Dodger Stadium. It's not any of these nice cathedrals of baseball that you might be thinking about. This is a place that when I talk to some of the Braves that have played there before and are going to play there again, beginning on that series that starts on Monday night, Basically, the only thing that is workable on that field is the playing surface itself. Everything else is up for complete debate or in total disrepair. And I just don't understand how a stadium in any sport in North America could end up in the kind of condition that the Coliseum has. And that's really part and parcel to what exactly is going on here. That and ownership's apparent desire to move on to a much more lucrative place, which is not unique in business to simply baseball. But that's what's going on with that Oakland A's story. Uh, Some other things happening around baseball. Aaron Boone, the Yankees manager, was ejected for the fourth time already this season. We're at about the third of the waypoint as we get to Memorial Day. So by some simple math, he's on pace for a nice 12 ejection year, which you don't see very much in today's baseball for a variety of reasons, including it's an automatic ejection if you argue balls and strikes these days. You know, you don't have Earl Weaver, Bobby Cox, those kind of guys coming out to plead their case, you know, kick some dirt in the case of some some managers would get a little bit worked up and be a little bit more of a showman than others, but uh, Boone, though, did say this, because I know when I watch a baseball game and I'm looking at the strike zone and thinking, well, that pitch changed that at bat. Well, that at bat changed that inning. Well, that inning changed that game. I mean, it's a domino effect here. But I've thought, well, they need to figure out this automated strike zone business so we can just stop talking about the human element that so many people have talked about for so long. Bring but on for, the robots. Well, for Boone, he said not so fast. Not so fast. He does not think that there is a need for robots. He said, in fact, I don't want that. After a 3-1 loss to the Baltimore Orioles where there was a particular inning, the third inning in which Edwin Moscaso, who's a home plate umpire, his strike zone for Clark Schmidt was apparently a little bit tighter than it should have been. You look at the pitch tracks kind of information, you would see that these are pitches that should have been strikes. And the graphic posted by the Yes Network indicated at least six of the pitches that caught the strike zone were called balls. And if you're on Twitter, not just following me at Grant McCauley, but you look at the ump scorecards that come out, Every game, again, I'm asking for his little accountability, a little improvement, because it seems like some of these guys aren't really having to, I don't know, maybe get a refresher on some of the things that should go into umpiring these games at the highest level and performing at their highest level as well. That's just um, the way that it looks at, because then it causes, if you've got a whole bunch of pitches that are missing the strike zone, start doing the math. Now the guy's issuing a walk when he might have had a strikeout, or the batter's overall approach to that at bat may have changed completely, and you might get a couple extra pitches, get a base hit, get a home run, whatever it is. All of a sudden, you got a pitcher that might have been out of that inning on 12 or 15 pitches having to throw 30 pitches. Well, that means he's not going to go as far in the game. You get the idea. I don't know if I need to explain all this in granular detail, but everything matters, and this strike zone thing has been about as bad in 2023 as any year I think I've ever seen it, and that's really saying something because there have been some pretty bad ones in recent years. On a better note, Craig Kimbrell, former Brave, in town with the Philadelphia Phillies. He's picked up saves in back-to-back games. That's probably not really news, but the save that he picked up on Friday night was the 400th of his major league career, so congratulations to him for that. 
Kimbrell said he had 30 to 40 family members that came over from Alabama and watched him pick up this milestone. He's just the eighth pitcher in Major League Baseball history to earn 400 saves. And if you're wondering, why does this story sound so familiar? Well, it's because a couple of weeks ago, the Boston Red Sox were in town and former Brave Kenley Jansen picked up his 400th career save at Truist Park against the Atlanta Braves. Now, Kimbrell spent a lot more time in a Braves uniform than did Kenley Jansen, so I think a lot more connection to the fans and a lot more of his career was built up in a Braves uniform. Uh, Kimbrell's now 34 years old. He's made 731 big league appearances as he picked up his sixth save of the year and 400th of his career. Kimbrell won the Rookie of the Year for the Braves in 2011 and was an all-star multiple times as well in Atlanta before being traded to the San Diego Padres. And we'll end it up on this, just, uh, I don't know, the irony of life. Twins manager Rocco Baldelli should know an awful lot about, well, managing the Twins. Well, at the end of the year, he's going to have his hand full with a whole new set of Twins. As he said, he and his wife Allie are expecting Twins of their own in September. And so he will go from managing the Twins full-time throughout baseball season to managing Twins for at least the next 18 or so years that follow. So congratulations to Rocco Baldelli for truly clicking the irony column in life. And I'm sure that's a lot of excitement in the Baldelli household as well. So congratulations to he and his wife. All right, we'll continue on here. we got more Major League Baseball matters to discuss, including is there a connection between some of the rise in injuries for pitchers and the new rules, the pace of play, the pitch clock, all of those things? Well, I'm going to ask Travis Sawchick of The Score about that. He'll join me next right here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Back to Grant McCauley for more From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. This is from the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Grant McCauley joining you as always on a Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, as the case may be, from the Kia Studios in Midtown. And we continue our discussion about not just the Atlanta Braves, but things going on across the world of baseball. You just heard some of the biggest stories from the week that was, but one of the biggest stories for the entire 2023 season has been rules changes, and specifically the pace of play, the pitch clock. We continue to talk about it because I'm not sure that it's quite become the normal everyday thing that it might be in just a few years. But I saw an article this week that I thought was really interesting, and it hits on a couple of things the Braves have been dealing with. Not just how do you adjust to the pitch clock, but also a rash of injuries, particularly to pitchers. Is there a connection between changing the pace of play and maybe a few more injuries for some pitchers across the league? I want to bring in Travis Sawchick, who covers Major League Baseball for the score. You can follow him on Twitter at Travis underscore Sawchick, because I think this is a really interesting topic to discuss. Travis, I appreciate you making some time to join me here today, and we're going to discuss a topic that I think has kind of been at least under the surface. There have been a lot of rules changes. Major League Baseball looks the same, even if it moves a little bit faster, but I think we're starting to unravel maybe some of the mysteries behind how these rules changes are going to affect our game. Yeah, I personally thought baseball needed to make a number of the rules changes, especially the pitch clock, just to make the game more accessible to a wider audience. And the average age of fans had kept becoming older. Mm -hmm. The game was just moving too slow at a time when everyone has a smartphone in their hands and attention is tested like never before. So, yeah, I think it was necessary to get the game more back to a pace like it was played at for most of its history. No one wants to see a rash of injuries and... You know, I'm sure someone who just had Tommy John surgery this year or is on the IL with a significant injury, they don't want to be collateral damage to a rule change. So no one wants to see that. And it seemed like a lot of arms were being hurt earlier mm-hmm. this year. So at the score, we, and we can get into the weeds if you want, but of we course. did investigate, you know, are injuries up? Is there any correlation? And so, you know, some of the findings were interesting, but 
I think it's hard to have a black and white takeaway where, yes, the new rules are mm-hmm. causing a significant spike in injuries. It's always shades of gray, I think, with these things. But it does take the research to find out, is there a correlation or a causality between making a change and perhaps a certain type of injury or injuries that might be cropping up in the game a little bit more? And I can tell you this, we've seen our fair share of injuries in Atlanta, particularly to pitchers. And I've asked a few guys you know, how they're adjusting, if the struggle and even injuries could be the result of some of the changes brought on by the pitch clock. So I guess as you started to get through this data, what stood out to you? What kind of injuries were you seeing that might have been a little bit more prevalent or just a little bit more plentiful this year than perhaps this same time a year ago? Yeah, we looked at the first 40 days of this season compared to the first 40 days of 2022. And we just looked at pitching injuries that were not related to uh, just physical injuries of, of time miss. So not, yeah. we tried to remove COVID time miss and all that. So what we found is overall injury stints and total days lost weren't changed significantly. They're basically flat, but certain injury types were up. I think elbow injuries were up like 40%. Yeah. There are 22 cases through the first 40 days compared to, I think it was 13 or so, uh, and I spoke to Will Carroll, great you know, injury expert. Mm-hmm. He's followed the subject for years. He thought if there's going to be a correlation, it would be leg injuries, where the power comes from in the kinetic chain, and that would wear down first during a game. And leg injuries were up, I think, there were nine cases versus five in the first 40 days. So that was interesting, too. So it seems like there might be some connection. And no one wants elbow injuries. And a no. couple of the top contenders, the Braves, the Rays, have had a number of quality starters go out with elbow injuries this year. So yeah, it does make you wonder, is there an issue that these players are dealing with? And speaking with Carroll, one interesting thing was he thought teams aren't doing enough in the recovery stage. And not so much the recovery between pitches, the Mm -hmm. five seconds that have been lost year over year, whatever it might be, but that time between innings when the starter's sitting and he has less time to get the heart rate down, less time to recover between innings. And he thought that is probably the issue if there is one. And he doesn't think teams are doing all they could or pitchers are doing all they could to recover between innings. Like he thinks teams should be experimenting with refeeding the system. Pitchers should be eating between innings, perhaps. Probably not five guys, but, you know, something, (laughs) not Chick-fil-A, but something, a gel pack or something like Mm -hmm. what marathon runners are using. So he thinks there's this whole area that could be explored the sports science side that could be helpful now is interesting. So yeah, I think there's things that could be done. I talked to Kyle Snyder, the Rays pitching coach, who's dealt with, you know, Jeffrey Springs looked like a breakout candidate. He's out mm-hmm. for a year. Tommy John, Drew Rasmussen, already a two-time Tommy John guy. Hopefully he doesn't need a third, but he's he's on the 60-day DL. Snyder's issue was that teams and players weren't given enough time to adjust. It was just sort of year over year. It's a shock to the system. And with the foreign substance policing too that was he tacked that onto the pitch clock so i think there are some real concerns there but this this is very long-winded answer back to the point where we we really don't know but it seems like there probably is some correlation but in any one particular case Mm -hmm. like will said it's tough to say aha definitely the pitch clock we don't know but it seems like there probably is some relationship there. It's just hard to ignore because it's right there each and every pitch, whether it's 15 seconds with no one on base and 20 seconds with a runner on base. It's just a little bit different. doesn't mean different is bad. I've heard this phrase thrown around a lot. You know, people don't really like change. They like improvement. But when it comes to your team having the chance to improve year over year, injuries can take a bite out of even the best laid plans. We're chatting with Travis Sawchick, MLB writer for The Score, 
at Travis underscore Sawchick on Twitter is where you can find him. He joins me on the waitfor.com hotline here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. This is from the Diamond with Grant McCauley as always. So I was looking through that chart in particular on your article about the possible correlation between the pitch clock and the spike in injuries this year, or at least certain kinds, and elbow injuries definitely jumped out because those can take a pitcher off the mound for up to a year to 14 months if you end up with Tommy John surgery. I told you about the Braves injuries. Ian Anderson, who was pitching at AAA, did have to go on the injured list with Tommy John surgery this year. That in and of itself, I don't know if it is a direct cause and effect of the pitch clock, but it's all baked into this uh, cake that we're trying to figure out exactly You know what might affect one thing or another on this chain. Uh, There are other factors at play, which you mentioned in this article, and I do think that the league probably needs to reassess its position, its very hard position on foreign substances. I know they want to get rid of certain types, and I'm all for that, but it does seem like they need to create better options for pitchers. You touched on that a little bit, but where do you think that factors in in terms of giving pitchers back a little something that's not meant to just give them an advantage, but maybe just meant to kind of level the playing field a little bit? Because there is no limit on pine tar and what batters are able to do to hold on to the bat. Yeah, no, it's a great point. And I think MLB does have to figure out a happy medium of what can be used. The issue is pitchers were just abusing this, like yes. with spider tack and just absurd, mm-hmm. you know, spin rates going up by 500 RPM. So they sort of did this to themselves in a way, at least the most egregious abusers. Right. Uh, and, you know, strikeout rates were becoming, they're still elevated, but it was on a trajectory where was it going to be a 30% strikeout rate in a few years? So I do think MLB had to do something, whether they stepped in to Kyle Snyder's point, whether there should have been a transition period or found a better happy medium. I think that can be debated. And I do think baseball, I know they're experimenting with the the tackier balls in the Southern League, I believe. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's the answer. Maybe there just needs to be a better understanding of how much browsing can be used if that really was an issue with Max Scherzer and Herman in New York, <laughs> some of the guys yeah. ejected. So baseball's trying to figure this out on the fly, and I think they do need a better solution. And ideally, you would have a uniform ball where there is some tack. It prevents the issue. Kyle Steiner makes a point where you know if a pitcher has to grip the ball harder, he's placing extra stress on some areas of his elbow, mm-hmm. and he thinks that's a big issue. So yeah, baseball doesn't want that, and is there a place where we can get where a pitcher ha- doesn't have to grip the ball so tightly, but it's not like spider tack where he's adding sure. 500 RPMs at a ball. Or if uh, that level of grip is needed, maybe just have it uniform so no one's gaining a performance edge over it and you know everyone is using the same ball. I, I think overall consistency, even the so-called Aaron Judge ball that might have been used last year, uh-huh. there needs to be more consistency with the game ball. This isn't an issue we hear in the NBA or the National Football League or NHL, everyone's using the same ball or puck. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's only really an issue we hear about in baseball. So to address that, I think, is important just from to potentially reduce injuries and just have a more level, consistent playing field. And this is something that we've heard about for a number of years now, whether it's a live ball or a dead ball or the Aaron Judge ball that's been used a year ago. I mean, that kind of consistency would seem to be pretty central to how the game wants to have its competitive field of play to be leveled between pitcher or hitter. Just find one that's going to work for everybody and one that's just consistent so that nobody is gaining an unfair advantage or unwittingly certain batches of baseballs from certain production years are getting put into play at different production years when a totally different baseball has been in play for months prior to that. And I think we all have tried to 
figure out as best we can why exactly you know certain trends in the game come along and change of the baseball would probably be a, a place to look and in fact it's a place a lot of people have looked uh, chatting with Travis Sawchuk here. He's an MLB writer for The Score. He joins me on From the Diamond on the WaitFord.com hotline. You brought up Kyle Snyder, the Rays, the pitching injuries they've had. Clearly, they're off to a good start despite having to deal with some of those. I think the Braves are in a similar boat as well. Uh, but the Rays are having to overcome these injuries, as are the Braves, just like all 30 clubs have to do over the course of a season. What things in particular, though, are the Rays doing to try to help their pitchers out with the pace? And maybe a little bit of that recovery and, and getting a breather, for lack of a better term, in between pitches, in between innings, whatever it may be. Yeah, they've tried a few things like having the pitcher turn his back on the catcher, you know, try to steal a couple seconds if he can, uh-huh. try to time those stepping off and use those disengagements at a proper time, maybe make a mound visit. Just being really hypersensitive to when that break could be helpful. And they are having conversations, too, about how to best use the time between innings and to kind of Will Carroll's point about mm-hmm. everyone probably has a sports scientist or sports science staff, but are teams listening to them? You would think the Rays would be a club that would be. Probably the Braves, too. Uh, Braves have a great developmental track record. So, yeah, I think, especially now, after a year of being in this, I think teams are going to be really hyper-focused on this going in the offseason. And, okay, are there things we can do to better keep guys healthy and that recovery time? Mm-hmm between innings. So I think they're just trying to figure it out on the fly to an extent, like so many teams and players are doing. And the one thing I'll be watching, and I know Will Carroll's watching and Kyle Snyder's watching, is that usually there's a higher volume of pitching injuries early in the season. uh, And usually it tapers off. Their concern is it's going to continue to be elevated throughout the year. Uh, That would be very bad because (laughs) you look at a lot of the contenders are already the Braves, Rays, Astros, the back of the rotations are already littered with replacements. Yep. And the Braves have had, I mean, Elders pitch really well and uh, Schuster, I think. So, yeah, I mean, maybe the Braves have the depth and the Rays have the depth. But if these injuries continue at this rate, yeah, it's going to throw a wrench into some plan. So, yeah, it's something to watch. I hope that's not the case because, like I said earlier, I do think the pace needs to be improved. And I think MLB's attendance numbers are up, and I think mm-hmm. interest is up. I think I saw from MLB PR the other day, the April early season attendance numbers are the best they've been since nearly a decade ago. So that's important, yeah. and getting more young people to watch a game is important. Uh, but you don't want these casualties to be more Tommy John cases and yeah. contender seasons getting derailed because they had worse injury luck and that sort of thing. Yeah, you want to make sure that the price you're paying for this is, of course, the price that is acceptable. And injuries, they are a very tough price to pay for players, for teams, and, of course, for the fans that pay to watch the best players be on the field as much as possible. And Charlie Morton told me recently, as I wrap up with this, that he understands the reasons for these rules changes for a lot of the factors that you just laid out there. The spirit of the rules is good for the overall pace of play for everybody, but he'd also like to see some discussions happen so that maybe some tweaks can be made as they go along. Do you think MLB might look into doing that sooner than later? Because I would imagine they'll be parsing through the injury data, getting feedback from all 30 clubs, whether they ask for it or not, people are going to be discussing this. I feel like there might be a little bit of adjustment that's made along the way with the pitch clock, if not some of the other things that we discussed. Yeah, it's interesting because I think MLB has the time and the pace where they want it. Like, I've seen people suggest, well, add three to five seconds at a pitch clock, but then you're sort of defeating the whole purpose. (laughs) You would lose a lot of the gains they've made, and I think they want it back to this kind of mid-1980s pace, really the historical pace. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I do think players are going to want to have a discussion, and maybe there are some adjustments that could be made, but 
it's a delicate balance because I don't think baseball wants to give up the gains they've made because this is right where they want it to be. And maybe it's just a case of after a year of adjusting and teams adjusting, it's going to be fascinating to see what the conversations are like and what adjustments can be made. And, you know, I hope just, you know, injuries get back to a normal rate and we don't see a surge. And this becomes a conversation of the fears were never realized. I hope that's where we are, but we won't know until the end of the year. And mm-hmm. if there is a rash of injuries, then there's going to be some difficult conversations to be had. Should be very interesting to see where it all goes. We obviously have seen the effects thus far, and Major League Baseball seems to, as you pointed out, kind of like the fact that they have made some serious gains as far as the time of game is concerned. I think everybody, no matter where you stood, kind of realized that the game could be a slog on some days. And that I don't think made for the most compelling product all of the time, no matter how much. You love this great game of baseball. Travis, really appreciate all of your time. Really enjoyed the article. I encourage everybody out there listening to be sure you check it out. The correlation between injuries and the pitch clock, perhaps. What is it? Travis did a deep dive in on that. I'll link that on Twitter, of course. Appreciate your time, and hopefully we'll chat again soon about something maybe not as gloom and doom as what's going wrong for some players on the field. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I enjoyed the conversation, and yeah, let's talk again soon because the Braves look like they're going to have a special season. I believe so. Thanks again. I appreciate it. Thank you. When we come back, we'll get back into our Braves discussion as they close out the weekend against the Philadelphia Phillies. And a certain Braves reliever is looking to get himself back on track here in the 2023 season. I caught up with A.J. Mentor at the ballpark this week. You'll hear my conversation with him and much more as From the Diamond with Grant McCauley continues right here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Taking a look around the league with more of our From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back in to From the Diamond, Grant McCauley. Wrapping up here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. We're live from the Kia Studios. Braves and Phillies concluding their four-game series this weekend. Then it's off to Oakland for one of the most anticipated games of the year. And that's not easy to say. Most anticipated and Oakland in the same sentence during Major League Baseball season these days. We chronicled that a little bit earlier, but in all seriousness, the comeback trail of Mike Soroka appears that it will reach a Major League mound on Monday night at the Coliseum. So, a lot of excitement is involved in that. And of course, that's one of the many stories we've been talking about here on From the Diamond this week. But as the Braves and Phillies get set to wrap up their series, you know there are still some answers that I think a certain player is looking for as the calendar is about to turn to the month of June. I'm speaking of Braves reliever A.J. Minter because this has been one of the Braves' most important relievers over the past three seasons. And 2023 has been anything but what he expected and, of course, what the Braves needed. Keep it in mind, Rysel Iglesias was down for a while. Mentor was the guy tapped to do the closing for the Braves for a period of time, but uh, not all the results that he was getting there were what you were accustomed to seeing and, of course, uh, what he was hoping for. A 7-13 ERA, a 2-5 and record now on the season. The walks are pretty low. The strikeouts are about where you expect them to be. But as far as the ball getting put in play, it's happening at a rate that's a little bit higher than we would expect. I think there's been some batted ball luck built in there, but... You know, as we try to search for answers, and I spent a long time in StatCast trying to maybe figure out, is it pitch usage? Is there a noticeable dip or trend in a certain pitch? Well, I wasn't really able to find anything that I could say, okay, well, that's the problem right there. And I'm sure that A.J. Mentor has spent even more time than I have trying to figure it all out. So I figured I'd go to the man himself and ask him, what has it been like to go through one of, I would say, the valleys that every player goes through over the course of a career? He's done it before. Can he get back to that status as one of the Braves' top relievers again? 
Here's my conversation with A.J. Minter from this week at Truist Park. Obviously, every season is kind of its own individual journey, and I'm guessing that this season for you has presented different challenges thus far. What would you size up or what are you pinpointing right now for things that you're just trying to not necessarily search for answers, but just get back to where you want them to be? You know, I, I wish I knew the answer to it. I, I, feel sure. like, um, I feel like a lot of people have been kind of searching for that answer for me as well. And, I mean, to put it all in I feel like if I'm able to locate my fastball and command my fastball and you know have life on it, everything else will fall into place. I feel like that's one thing that I know is just is the fastball. It's just not quite what it was last year. And so, yeah, I feel like I mean I've lost. It's still fine. I'm still throwing strikes. Um, but last year, my thought was, I'm just going to throw it you know, over the plate and see if they can hit it. And they yeah. couldn't hit it. And then this year, it's kind of the opposite. I'm throwing over the plate, but they're hitting it. So going back and just kind of, well, my stuff, I'm still trusting it. But with that being said, it's just the hitters are telling me that it's just not quite as sharp and it's quite as electric as it was last year. So I'm just trying to find that, you know, um, not losing – trust in it but still I gotta maybe I gotta work on my location a little bit better so that's just kind of what I'm trying to figure out sure and and I'm sure and that was kind of an open-ended question so and and you give me a lot of different avenues to go down because I'm sure you want to trust your stuff you have the arsenal to get hitters out that's Mm -hmm. never really been in question even when you've kind of had peaks or valleys there's always been a way to figure that out I mean 2021 is a great example of Mm -hmm. things weren't going the way you wanted to but you were able to figure that out and by the time that season was over you know you were pitching in some of the biggest games on the brightest lights getting some of the biggest outs for this club so I guess that's kind of my long way of asking the belief is still there it's just trying to work the problem yeah and the problem I feel like in 2021 is I didn't believe in my stuff and once I finally believed in it I saw better results but now I still believe in my stuff so now it's just kind of a I'm getting different results so it's, it's kind of confusing and it's frustrating because you know I am throwing strikes but at the end of the day I mean these are big league hitters too so you know just gotta go back to the drawing board and see if I can, you know, work on my command and obviously my mechanics to get my fastball velocity back up. Um, not that it's super down, but I just need a little bit more life on it. And same thing with the cutter. I mean, there's not some sharp bite on it. It's a little bit flat and the hitters are just kind of picking it up. So just working on that. Does that experience from 2021 help you know that no matter how dark the road may get for a period of time, that there is going to be a light yeah, I mean, that's the only thing that keeps me going. you got to be a little bit of sick in the mind to just keep going out there and <laughs> see this keep happening. But, you know, I've been through this before. There's no reason why I can't get through it again, and I know I can. And I'd rather get all this out of the way at the beginning of the season rather than later. So sure. um, that's my goal. It's just I know this team is, you know, we're going to be right there at the end, and I just want to get better that way when that time comes, you know, I'm going to be there for my team. I'll wrap up with this because you mentioned there's a lot of different voices kind of trying to find the answer for you. Who in specific have you been working with? Obviously, Cranny is going to be in that. Um, Teammates, former teammates, former coaches, anybody that's kind of been able to pitch in? Everyone you can think of. (laughs) Everyone you can think of. And everyone kind of keeps telling the same thing. It's just, you know, you run into a little bit of bad luck here and there, and it's going to eventually turn. But, you know, I'm I'm never going to use that as an excuse. You know, there's something wrong. Um, Bad luck isn't the major factor of it. Yeah, it's some of it, but I need to get back to my fastball, establish my fastball, because once the hitters 
have to be on time with the fastball, then that opens up the cutter, that opens up the changeup, and they're just feeling a little bit too comfortable up there. So just got to get back to that. Yeah, I mean, that's the object is to make major league hitters uncomfortable. And while it may seem like, okay, well, you've done it before, so what have you changed? What is, why is it not working right now? Well, baseball is a constant game of adjustments. But as you can hear, I thought that was a really candid and open discussion from AJ about the fact that, hey, I'm searching for the answers right now, too. And there may be a little extra life he wants to find in his fastball. There may be a little bit more effectiveness he wants to get in going from that fastball to the cutter, which has been such a good pitch for him as well. I know he throws a changeup. So maybe it's a pitch mix kind of thing where he's able to utilize something else as he tries to get other things working. But uh, you can imagine for every player that has had great success and then found themselves putting up the results and numbers that you don't want to see, trying to get back there as quickly as possible and help the team is priority number one for A.J. Mentor. So really great to catch up with him. He's always been gracious with his time for me over the years, and you know, hopefully he's able to get back to giving the Braves the kind of innings and the kind of big outs that they're going to need from him because this bullpen certainly needs A.J. Mentor to be pitching like the guy that they expected when they came into the season. As far as other things we expected as we get ready for Sunday Night Baseball, well, Ronald Acuna Jr. in the leadoff spot, setting the tone and doing all the things that he's done this year. You were hoping for it, and if you had watched Ronald prior to the ACL injury, I think the expectations are about as high as they can get. And here he is putting up MVP-type numbers on pace for a 200-plus hit, 45-plus double, 35-plus homer, 60-plus stolen base, maybe 70 stolen base pace, just depending on how it all breaks down from yesterday. And, oh, oh, by the way, on pace to score about 145 runs as well. This is a monster season. It would be the kind of season that is unprecedented in baseball history. So that you can draw the very simple conclusion that Ronald Lacuna Jr., the expectations are sky high and the ability is there and he feels like himself. One guy that gets to watch this show from one of the best seats in the house, I would say, is Matt Olson, the Braves' number two hitter, standing on deck as Ronald Lacuna Jr. goes to bat each and every time. And for Matt, he's trying to work on, I think, a few things for himself. He came into the spring looking like he was going to set the world on fire this year, and I think he got off to a pretty decent start. But one thing that has begun to pile up for him has been strikeouts. The home runs are certainly there. The walks are there. He's finding his way on base. He is driving in some runs. But strikeouts, hits with runners in scoring position, not as many as he wants of the latter and a little bit more than he wants of the former. So I figured catch up with Matt Olson, see exactly what's been going on for him this year and where exactly he feels like the Braves are at this point of the season. Remember, Memorial Day weekend, about a third of the way through the year. It's kind of the first time a lot of baseball fans look at the standings and really take notice of them. Well, let's see what the uh, perspective was of the Braves' first baseman. Here he is, my chat with Matt Olson from Truist Park this week. You know, the first couple of months of the season, this team has overcome a lot. There's been some injuries thrown at it, and obviously you want to play your best baseball at all times. What have you felt like that the club has been able to show from a resiliency standpoint that just kind of backs up the character and what this team is all about? Yeah, you know, like you said, some pretty big injuries uh, early on. Um, just from some, obviously a couple pieces in the rotation and some everyday guys like uh, you know Iggy was out for a while Trav Mike uh, you know you feel like you could kind of go down the list and, and it's happening a lot of places but uh, I felt like we got hit with the injury bug there for a little bit pretty quick so to be able to just kind of uh, put our heads down you know guys are have to step up and, and produce in those scenarios you know these young pitchers have come up and, and done well and 
Elder's stepped in uh, incredibly, and you know he's he's throwing really well right now. We feel like we haven't fully clicked on all cylinders yet, and, and we're still in a good spot. So, you know, I think uh, got to be happy with where we're at. Uh, we haven't played our, our cleanest baseball, but uh, when when you're finding a way to win games and win series while doing that, uh, I think that's uh, a good feeling for the rest of the season. I know you haven't played for a lot of different clubs and a lot of different managers, but coming over here to the Braves, being in your second year with Brian Snitker and this coaching staff, what kind of consistency did they, I guess, ingrain into this team and the everyday approach? Yeah, I mean, you talk to Snit, he's about as uh, even keel as you can find, so he kind of sets the tone for us. Snit expects you to show up and be ready to do your job that day. I think for guys that are kind of the everyday guys in the lineup, you, uh, you know you're playing. There's... I think that's a great thing we do here. You can't help the team from the bench. So, um, you know, you show up, you're playing, you know, majority of the time, most of, no matter how you're doing, that next day could be your day to, to get right if you're not doing well or carry the team if you're hot that day. Or, And I think he does a great job of, of you know, setting the tone of every day's new. We're not going to get up, two up, two down. Just keep playing our games and, and see where we're at then. When it comes to setting the tone for the lineup, Ronald Acuna Jr. in 2023 is, I think, reminding the league what Ronald Acuna Jr. is capable of. You hit behind him every day. You get to see him be the player that he is, affecting the game in all kinds of different ways. What have you noticed this year, both in what he's doing and also just how far he's come from where he was even just a year ago? Yeah, I mean, he's probably one of the best players in baseball year in, year out, and that's uh, absolutely being showcased this year. I think he got a little of a unfair uh, rap last year as well. I, I think guys are, you know, fans and, and people around the league are accustomed to seeing what he's doing now, which uh, is top 0.1% of talent in baseball. And people became a little, uh, I guess, used to the way that he plays. And, you know, people, uh, you know, I felt like, not necessarily uh, talking bad about him, but not giving him the credit for the year he had last year. It's not like he was, you know, just completely unproductive. You know, I think he hit around 275 in the leadoff spot, was still running straight off an ACL injury, which just has to be hard to trust. It's going to affect your swing. Um, I thought he got a little, little bit of bad rap last year, but, you know, it's clear that he's had that extra time to, you know, recover and, and fully get the trust factor back, I feel yeah. like, and, man, it's fun to watch. How about for you? I know this is, you know, every season has its highs and its lows. There's a constant game of adjustments for you, for your swing, for how you're feeling at the plate right now. What kind of things are you looking to work at? Because I know the strikeouts probably aren't what you want, obviously, mm-hmm. not what you're accustomed to. And, you know, how are you, I guess, approaching that? Yeah, I mean, I don't care who you are, strikeouts are not your uh, ideal uh, plate appearance. And when they're happening as consistently as they are for me right now, you want to, you know, find a way to nip it in the bud. But uh, you just got to, you know, like I said, look where you're at at the end of the season. It's a long year. We're only in May right now. There's been a lot of good to go with the bad as well. So, you know, it's kind of like what I was saying as far as the team, you know, I've personally feel like I haven't gotten high yet and you know still have some good things that I've done so far so yeah just keep playing that's why we get 162 yeah. you know I'll, I'll have some streaks that'll level out the low points and uh yeah see where we're at then seems like the mentality is pretty important to realize I think the phrases I've heard is like you're never as good as you are on your best day you're never as bad as you are on your worst day it's just trying to find that happy medium yeah definitely and you know when you go through a bad stretch it's easy to drag yourself down yeah uh 
kind of tough to see the light at the end of the tunnel when it's that way but you know that's the beauty of uh, the long season you know the further I get in my career it's easier to kind of look past the down times and um, understand that that's not a reflection of the player that I am the guys are people go through ups and downs as much as you want them to be leveled off um it's going to happen regardless of who you are and uh you know the best ones find a way to cut down the low times and (laughs) that light will come at the end of the tunnel but you know i I think uh, it just comes from uh you know trust and knowing the work you put in and and knowing that the good days are ahead that's my chat with braves first baseman matt olson who's looking to work his way through i think just some Peaks and valleys that come to every hitter all season long. And you can understand a little bit if you have watched this team for any amount of time that there's a resiliency and a consistency that comes day-to-day with a Brian Snitker-led ball club. And that really seems to trickle down to some of the more important members and really any member of this Braves team to really kind of take the approach of each day kind of being its own opportunity. And you heard from Matt. You know, you could go over four with four strikeouts yesterday. Today could be the day that you hit the go-ahead three-run homer. Deliver the sack fly, whatever it may be. You got that opportunity each and every day. But the Braves, they headed into Sunday with a four-and-a-half game lead in the National League East, second-best record in the NL as well. All of this despite the injuries, the struggles, all those things. And I think Matt Olson may be on to something because I want to leave you with this. Let's flash back to a year ago. This was a team heading into Memorial Day weekend or closing out the month of May, ten-and-a-half games out of first place, under five hundred, and needing to find any which way they could to spark a run to save their season a year ago. So you consider everything that's happened this year to be up by four and a half games, to be 10 games over 500, and they may not have played their best baseball yet. Well, that sounds pretty encouraging. Also pretty encouraging, return of Michael Soroka. We're all excited about it. It looks like it's going to happen on Monday in Oakland. That'll be something that we will be discussing, just enjoying what was a great chapter in this story that we've been waiting a long time for, return of Michael Soroka. Thanks for joining me on From the Diamond this week. Appreciate my guest, Scott Braun, as well as Travis Sawchick, and, of course, the time from Kevin Seitzer, from AJ Mentor, from Matt Olson, and the time from you as well to join me here. We'll be back at you next Sunday from 5 to 7 here on 92.9 The Game. This has been From the Diamond. I'm Grant McCauley, and we'll catch you next week. So long, everyone.